You're listening to The Honest Report. A weekly podcast analyzing media coverage of the Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, and radical Islamic terrorism. Here's your host, Rob Walker. For decades, anti-Israel activists have derided the Jewish state as a colonialist apartheid enterprise which stole the land from the original Palestinian inhabitants, with little effective response from the pro-Israel camp. In recent years, though, there has been a new argument marshaled in favor of Israel, that the Jewish people are in fact indigenous to the land of Israel. If you've heard this argument in recent years, it's probably because of Ryan Belrose, arguably the most impactful proponent of this line of argumentation. Ryan is a Métis living in rural northern Alberta, with his ancestry in the Red River area of the province. Though not Jewish, and as a human rights activist, Ryan has become one of the world's most vocal spokespeople and advocates for the Jewish state, and has played a major role in helping to educate audiences, Jewish and non-Jewish alike, about the Jewish people's indigenous status to the land of Israel. In this week's edition of The Honest Report, We'll chat with Ryan about what exactly it means to be indigenous, and why it's a necessity, not a luxury, for the next generation to understand the Jewish people's indigenous connection to Israel. Welcome to the Honest Report podcast. Ryan Belrose, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to be here. It's a pleasure is all mine. I mean, tell me a little bit. You've obviously uh, really created, um, I think, an entire... Uh, movement around Jews as indigenous uh, to the land of Israel. You know, as far as I can tell, this really wasn't a topic of discussion that was anywhere in the mainstream. I think prior to you really making this uh, a major point of discussion, the obvious question is, why is it so important that pro-Israel advocates and Jews specifically understand, forget about advocating for it, but why is it so important that they understand the connection between the Jewish people and indigeneity to the land of Israel. It's important to note that there were actually some people that were speaking about very similar things. And it's also important to note that, you know, the reason that this resonates so much with the Jewish community is because they they understood the concepts without actually using that kind of language. Like I, I was the first person to start talking about it in the terms using indigenous status and stuff like that. But I'm sure like you as, a, as an observant Jew, you understand the concepts of ancestral land and you understand the concepts of, you know, hereditary, uh, uh, you know, stuff like that, like hereditary stuff. So it's not like, you know, this didn't come out of left field. This is all stuff that other people have spoken about, just maybe not in the same terms. Now, as for why it's important, I, I don't have to tell you that one of the central accusations used to attack Jews is that you're foreign white Europeans who colonized somebody else's land. And anybody who studies the history, you know, even a little bit realizes how ridiculous that is. But the unfortunate truth is that the average person doesn't really know a whole lot about Jews, and they don't really know a lot about Jewish history. So it's important for Jews to know this stuff so that when they get attacked with this nonsense, they have the ability to to refute it, being very factual and, you know, not emotional, just stating, hey, these are the facts. This is our history. You know, the, the anthropology, all of the sciences, they all back us up. They all they all state what we're telling you, which is that the Jews are indigenous to the land of Israel. It sounds like, uh, obviously, that there's a certain trust that you have in, in the sort of the public's ability to comprehend what is somewhat of a complex argument um, or, or complex sort of fact. The critics might say, or some critics might say, 
you know, nobody really cares about sort of the indigenous history 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago. People only care about sort of what's happening on the ground now. Obviously, you don't see it that way. To me, it's annoying because, you know, the same people that say that are the same people that will talk about how it's the Arabs' ancestral land. Or they'll say, you know, like, why is it that all of a sudden now the history matters? The history always mattered. The, the truth of the matter is, if you're a moral and ethical person, then you, you understand that the struggle for Indigenous rights, it's, it's not just a timeline-based thing. It has nothing to do, like me being Indigenous to Canada. When I tell people I'm Indigenous to Canada, uh, my, my family is Indigenous specifically to the Red River area, and we have a legitimate claim to that land. People don't come back to me and say, well, you know, who cares about the history? But suddenly when we talk about Jews, they'll say, well, you know, it was such a long time ago. I don't think people understand, a lot of people don't understand that, hey, the length of time really has nothing to do with any of this. It's all about, did your people have an ethnogenesis on a specific place? Do you have ties that remain to this day? And just because the Jews can trace their, their ties back 3,000 years, that doesn't make them less, uh, less important than my people's ties. If anything, it makes your ties deeper because my people have only been in the Red River area since the 1700s, 1800s. And, and nobody would even think of telling me, well, that means that your ties aren't really that important. So why would they say that your ties are less important because they're 3,000 years old? So yeah, it's a complex thing. But what I try to do is put it into terms that people can understand. And so, I mean, you know, you, you've uh, touched on something that's, um, that was I was going to ask you about. Uh, you sort of gained a bit of a moniker, Rabbi Ryan, of course, uh, you know, you become so uh, engaged with the Jewish community um, as a result of your, your activism. Where does this sort of this passion come from? Obviously, as a, as a Métis yourself, there's yeah, the, the other side of the world, really, um, you know, uh, in terms of the Jewish people and, and, and your ancestry, where did this level of passion and interest come from to advocate for, uh, uh, for the Jewish people? You know, it's actually not really that complex because I've always been somebody that's been fascinated with identity, right? And it was, it was always, you know, trying to learn more about identity insofar as how it impacted me. What was my identity? Where did it come from? How did it form? And it was once I started studying Jewish identity that really kind of gave me more of an insight into my own identity. And, and so that was one of the reasons that this really became interesting for me. And I'm not going to lie. A lot of it is because I have very close friends who are Jews and they've, they've helped me understand myself so much that I feel like it's kind of important for me to stand up for them because not a lot of people do. Like a lot of people talk the talk but very few people walk the walk. And it is important for me that people understand the importance of identity. And, you know, Jewish identity is a very complex thing because it's an ethno-religious tribal identity, which means it's an awful lot like my identity, which is also an ethno-religious tribal identity. So I can, I can learn about my own identity simply by studying Jewish identity. You know, a lot of the things that we talk about, you know, language, land, culture, blood, spirituality, those kinds of things all come together to form indigenous identities. And when you actually look at the Jewish identity, you realize how deeply all of those things impact Jewish identity. And unfortunately, the, there's, a, there's a truism that, you know, comfort is the enemy of identity. It's something my dad told me when I was a kid. Hmm. And it's very true, like for Jews, and that it's very true for natives. The more comfortable we become, the more likely we are to assimilate with mainstream society and once you start to assimilate, you start to lose who you are. 
and it was really interesting for me when I was studying, you know, Jewish history, you see this over and over and over again in Jewish history. There's so many examples of it where Jews became very comfortable where they were, and they actually started to assimilate and, and lose a lot of their Jewish identity. Now, that's something that my people are struggling with right now as we speak. The, the more comfortable Native people are in mainstream Canada, the less likely we are to speak our language, the less likely we are to, uh, you know, to manifest our traditional spirituality. And we start losing those things. And, and pretty soon, you know, we're nothing more than brown-skinned white people. So I think that there's a lot of stuff that Jewish history can teach us and that Jewish people can teach us about fighting against assimilation. So walk me through, if you would, um, your sort of explanation or your um, how you would articulate exactly what indigenous means. I think a lot of people might hear indigenous and think sort of it really means, you know, the first people to settle a land. But obviously it's much yeah. more uh, sort of complex than that. Could you give us a bit of an understanding of what it means when you say that the Jewish people are indigenous to the land of Israel? So when we're talking about indigenous status, uh, early, earlier you heard me mention the, the, basically what are the five pillars of indigenous identity. All right. So think of it like a hand. Now, each one of these pieces of, of, of your identity are actually going to be represented by a finger on this hand. So you have language, land, culture, blood, and spirituality. So those are the, what I call the five fingers, okay? Now, like a hand, if you cut one of those fingers off, it impacts your ability to use your hand. And insofar as identity, it impacts your, ident your, your ability to manifest an authentic identity. So if you remove someone's tie to their ancestral land, if you take away their language, if you remove them from their families, now, I hope the people that are listening understanding what I'm saying here, because this is literally what they did to Native people here in Canada, the United States. This was what the residential schools were all about. Take them away from their families, take them away from their land, take away their language, take away their Native spirituality, replace those things with the mainstream. It's also what people that attempt to convert Jews do, try to take their language away, try to take their spirituality away, take away their culture, make them be like everybody else. Now, what, what makes a person indigenous is a specific tie to a specific place. So I'm considered to be an indigenous Canadian, but I don't like that term because I'm not indigenous to all of Canada. My people are indigenous specifically to the Red River. So even though there's native people all over the place, for the Métis people in particular, even though Métis people might have moved around, I mean, you know, it's the modern world. People can live all over Canada now. We are still indigenous to the Red River area. With Jews, you're indigenous to a very specific place that's in, in the land of Israel, which is Judea and Samaria. So all of your, you know, your main stories, everything that makes your people a people basically traces back to that area. So you had an ethnogenesis, which is the creation of a people. You had a coalescence of culture and you became a people in that specific place, which means you're indigenous to that place. It doesn't mean you were there first. Like you don't become indigenous through conquering another group of people, but you can become indigenous through the creation and genesis of a culture. And, and this is where it gets a little bit complex because some people think, no, being indigenous means you had to be there first. And that's not necessarily the case. So how do you sort of, I mean, a critic again might, and indeed they do say, you know, uh, well, the Canaanites, even according to sort of Jewish uh, Jewish tradition, the Jews came in and sort of conquered the Canaanites. So how does that fit in in terms of this uh, um, this this outlook? So it, it, the Canaanites are a very interesting 
uh, thing because they've done archaeological studies that actually show religiously, according to the Torah, you killed the Canaanites. Unfortunately, the the historical narrative and the biblical narrative in this point, they actually do conflict a little bit because the archaeology shows that you didn't kill them all. You basically subsumed them, which means a lot of Canaanites adopted Hebrew spirituality. They started speaking the Hebrew language. And they became part of the Hebrew people. That doesn't mean that all Canaanites did, but the Canaanites specific to this region did. I would argue if you tried to say, well, that means the Canaanites are indigenous and the Hebrews were not. The thing is, there are no Canaanites left. There are no people that even follow any sort of Canaanite spirituality. There's no people that speak the, the actual Canaanite languages anymore. Those well, they've been assimilated. That's Texas. what you're saying. Pardon me? They've been assimilated. Yeah. So they, yeah, they, they were subsumed and assimilated into the Hebrew society. What that means is that there are some small little, like there's stuff like, I believe the, the word L, using the word L for God, I believe that dates back to the Canaanites. Uh, there's a few, you know, remnants of, of basically in the Semitic languages, there's a few remnants of, of Canaanite language. But the truth of the matter is they evolved and they assimilated and became the Hebrew people. The reason that people try to delegitimize the Jewish claim by saying, well, you know, the Canaanites were there first is because they don't want to acknowledge the fact that the Canaanites in large part became the Hebrew people. So it, again, it's about delegitimizing a Jewish claim. They don't make those same claims. Like in Lebanon, people actually, there, there's a lot more uh, Canaanite in the Semitic language, the Arabic language. There's a lot more Canaanite stuff the canaanites themselves like the, the religion and stuff is a lot more there were a lot more manifestations of Ca- uh, canaanite culture but that culture is dead those people are gone there, there are no actual canaanites left it, it's a it's a difficult thing look like you said this is really complex stuff and unfortunately most of the time people aren't going to take a lot of time to do a lot of studying a lot of reading a lot of learning so you have to try and break down very complex things and make them a little more simplistic to understand. So what I generally do is I say, look, you have to understand that it's not necessarily like you cannot become indigenous through conquering, but being a conqueror doesn't mitigate indigenous status. So I understand if if you have the ethnogenesis, you're, you become indigenous. If you don't have that ethnogenesis, you don't. It's fascinating. And, and so tell us, I mean, obviously uh, in the interest of time, I mean, this discussion is uh, multifaceted, but how successful do you think um, this line of argumentation has been in the last 10 years, or has it just been sort of overwhelmed by the Jews are colonial oppressors, you know, practicing apartheid? I mean, is there any hope for this kind of a nuanced uh, argument in the face of such blatant disinformation? Since I started making these arguments, I think a lot of people at first, they were kind of taken aback because It was never talked about in in these kinds of terms. Once people started realizing, wait a second, this is a consistent argument. It's morally and ethically correct. It's factually correct. It's completely backed up by the history. That's when people started to change. I see a lot more people on the left now acknowledging the fact that the Jews are indigenous. Unfortunately, it's usually these same people that are making comments like, well, indigenous status doesn't matter. It's only, what matters is what's going on on the ground. Right. But the problem is you can't make headway towards peace because you can't make, look, you can't build peace on a foundation of sand. You have to have a solid bedrock of facts. You have to have honesty. You, you can't have lies and, and uh, nonsense be the foundation. So when they start claiming that you're foreign white colonizers from Europe, if you don't say no, this is where we're from. Everything that makes us who we are is from Israel. We don't say next year in Krakow. 
We don't say next year in Berlin. We say next year in Jerusalem for a reason. Religious Jews pray three times a day about Israel for a reason. Like that's what people need to understand. And so do I think that this, uh, this argument, yeah, this is the central argument. And yes, I'm biased because basically I'm the one that came up with it. But the simple truth is when somebody's calling you a foreign colonizer who's stealing someone else's ancestral land, and it's literally the exact opposite, the exact opposite is true. That's, that's so inverted that we need to be able to, we need to be able to, to express this. We need to be able to tell people and we need, we be, we need to be able to understand it ourselves because if you don't understand it and you just say, well, the Jews are indigenous and someone says, well, what makes them indigenous? And you can't tell them they walk away thinking, okay, that guy was full of it. But in the last, I would say in the last 10 years, I've seen a lot more groups uh, understanding this. They're using terms like ancestral land because this is the ancestral homeland of the Jews that we're talking about. And you need to be able to say that. And they're starting to understand that it's really important to talk about the fact that you have these generational ties. You have 3,000 years of history in this place. You're not newcomers. You're not foreigners. You're, you're not taking someone else's ancestral land. You're returning to your own ancestral land. And you're trying to manifest self-determination on your own ancestral land. There isn't anything more moral than that. Well, listen, I mean, Ryan, you, you certainly should, um, you know, uh, take a lot of pleasure. And I think in the um, in the dissemination of this argument, it's certainly become very, very mainstream over the last few years. And uh, and you have a large, large uh, role to play in that. So thank you very much for uh, for all your efforts. I appreciate that. And look, like there, there, there have been a lot of people who have really, I think, have done great work trying to get this argument out there. A lot of organizations. I mean, the organization that you used to run, Hasbro Fellowships, they've done some great work. Stand with us. Simon Wiesenthal Center, like the, the people that are doing the advocacy, they really need to, I, I think they need to refocus and understand how important this is because the, the level of anti-Semitism in the world is, is rising and there's no reason for it. And we have enough brilliant people that are fighting it that we should be able to fight this and win. And we shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't be concerning ourselves with, you know, stuff that's not important. Well, succinctly put, thank you so much, Ryan Bellrose, for your time and insight today. Absolutely. You know what? Thank you very much. And, and if we can keep getting the word out about this and keep getting people to talk about these, what I think are vital issues, I think we can really make, a, make some significant changes. And how can people follow you on, uh, on social media? What's, uh, what's the best uh, platform? Uh, I would say probably Facebook and Instagram, but unfortunately I get banned on them quite often because uh, I'm constantly fighting with anti-Semites. So it's uh, unfortunate, but it's a reality of the world we live in. Well, listen, for the, uh, for the times when you're not banned, uh, certainly people should, uh, should check you out on, uh, on social media and, uh, and follow your insights. Thank you again, Ryan, for joining us on The Honest Report. Thank you. You have yourself a great day. And that's today's edition of The Honest Report podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our alerts, subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and if you like what you heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts. You can do so at honestreporting.ca slash donate. And until next time, thank you so much for listening.